This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Tuesday, September 22, 2020. I'm Caleb Brown. The president says he will nominate a new justice to the U.S. Supreme Court this week, now just weeks from the presidential election. Cato's Ilya Shapiro is author of the new book, Supreme Disorder, Judicial Nominations and the Politics of America's Highest Court. We spoke yesterday. In general, what do you think this confirmation battle looks like? And, and give us a sense of, of the details and, and what people are pointing to in terms of trying to say this is unprecedented or this is perfectly precedented. Well, in the long history of the American Republic, there is really little new under the sun. Politics has been a part of the process from the very beginning. Uh, George Washington himself had a nominee rejected. Uh, and uh, about half of our presidents have had trouble of some kind uh, making appointments. The, the overall best determinant of whether the nomination is going to be successful is whether the Senate is controlled by the same party as the presidency. When you have that united government, we're looking at about 90% confirmation rate. When you have divided government, we're uh, south of 60%, and that difference is accentuated in presidential election years. So it's going to be a big fight, uh, what we have now, but there's uh, examples of uh, pretty much uh, any development, and it all comes down to uh, political power plays. Well, how reasonable do you think it is that uh, the the president might nominate and the Senate might vote on somebody some 40 days uh, before the election? Well, uh, 29 times in our history, we've had uh, a vacancy arise during a presidential election year. Every single one of those 29 times, the president has made a nomination. So the fact that President Trump uh, is, as we're recording this, uh, promised to do so in the next few days, that's not unusual at all. And then it goes to the Senate. Uh, and uh, we've even had something like this, a vacancy arising so close to the election. Uh, in 1956, President Eisenhower the Senate uh, did not want to go back into session. They were already out campaigning and what have you. And so said, no, we're not We're not going to do this. You know, not because we're necessarily opposed to you, but we're just not going to do this. And so he recess appointed, Ike did, uh, Bill Brennan. Uh, and how, you know, how can that be? Ike is a Republican. Brennan even then was known as a progressive kind of on the left side of the New Jersey Supreme Court. Uh, but for political reasons, Eisenhower wanted to shore up his support in the metropolitan Northeast and among Catholics. And uh, that worked. Uh, he politically successful, but then uh, he later was disappointed, but shouldn't have been surprised with uh, Brennan's jurisprudence. I guess going forward, uh, we have a, a few people who have bubbled up to the top uh, of the potential list, even though President Trump recently expanded his list of uh, uh, potential Supreme Court nominees. Uh, what do you? What do we know about uh, these women? So the the two finalists, uh, and you better get this podcast out because who knows when they're going to come out with the final announcement. But uh, uh, Amy Coney Barrett of the Seventh Circuit uh, in Indiana is a Chicago-based court. Before that, she was a professor at at, at Notre Dame. Uh, somewhere in the Scalia to uh, Thomas uh, view, uh, originalist, textualist. Um, uh, very learned, has a has an intellectual paper trail. Um, certain things that uh, I probably disagree with her on, uh, unenumerated rights, for example. She wrote a critique of uh, Randy Barnett's book uh, in, in that regard, but uh, uh, very popular uh, in the conservative legal movement. And then Barbara Lagoa uh, on the 11th Circuit has been there less than a year, based in Miami. The court's based in Atlanta. She's Cuban-American, uh, served 12 years on the state 
intermediate appellate court in Florida and then less than a year on the Florida Supreme Court. And not much is known about her jurisprudence. Uh, I'll admit I do not uh, stay up nights reading uh, opinions from the intermediate state courts uh, of this country. Um, she was obviously vetted by the White House, by the Justice Department in the Trump administration to be put on the 11th Circuit. Um, but I'm telling you, a lot of Justice Department lawyers and others are uh, are reading her opinions for information about how committed she is to, to various kinds of principles and what kind of judge she would be, in addition to the obvious political calculus of having someone from Florida and a Cuban-American at that. In the most positive way you can, speaking as an economist, how do you see this playing out given the some reticence by some Republican senators and uh, even some recent polling among Republican voters that they would like this nomination to wait? Well, so far we have two Republican senators as of this recording, Collins of Maine and Murkowski of Alaska, who said that they don't want a vote, at least not before the election, uh, maybe even the inauguration. Um, McConnell left himself some wiggle room by saying that he, he will give the nominee a vote, but did not specify whether before or after the election, a lot of game theory going on here. So, uh, is it better to process the nominee and do everything except the final vote and dangle that to voters for the election? Will that drive out the Republican base more than the democratic base? Uh, or will it convince swing voters? Because historically the issue of judges, including, especially in 2016, has inured to the benefits uh, to the benefit of Republican candidates. Uh, if they hold it till after the election, well, then what happens with the various scenarios? If uh, Biden wins and the Democrats take the Senate, will McConnell try to do some deal with uh, no confirmation in exchange for a promise of no court packing? If uh, Trump is reelected, uh, almost certainly he will want to push for that nomination because if the Republicans lose the Senate, then he's not going to get a better uh, Senate uh, uh, come come inauguration day, come January. Uh, and if it's the uh, if it's otherwise, the Republicans keep the Senate. Mitch McConnell, still the uh, Supreme Court uh, uh, majority leader, uh, he'll want to uh, ram that through, realizing that uh, court packing is now going to be off the table, at least for four years. But there's a you know, multidimensional game theory going on there. And everyone's going to try to figure out uh, how their voters are, you know, how it affects their election chances. Yeah, I was going to mention uh, court packing. This is uh, uh, some prominent Democrats have have come out saying, well, this is utter this is rank hypocrisy uh, on the part of the president and Mitch McConnell, given how the Merrick Garland nomination was handled in uh, 2016, and therefore court packing is now on the table. We hope to expand the Supreme Court. How seriously should people take that? Well, it, it, it depends how you define hypocrisy. The idea of politicians switching sides on an issue is, is certainly not new. And you can slice and dice the nuance uh, about whether the Garland position was no, nomin no, no confirmation in an election year, whether it was no confirmation when uh, the Senate and White House are controlled by opposite parties, or no confirmation when the president is reelected, but then the other party wins the Senate in the following election. And so you need a kind of a rubber match tiebreaker. Uh, and you can argue that. Uh, I don't think it matters to voters on either side, really. Uh, voters don't tend to vote on hypocrisy. They tend to vote on the substance of the issue and you know, which president, I, I guess, or which, which uh, party they would want uh, appointing or confirming uh, a, a justice to the Supreme Court. 
uh, and especially swing voters. I mean, the bases obviously are, are going to cry foul, whatever happens. Uh, but uh, again, this is part of the complicated uh, uh, game theory. Ultimately, Caleb, the reason we are at this apocalyptic uh, battle over this seat is because the Supreme Court has gotten to be very powerful. Uh, and it's it's not happened overnight. It's happened over decades. The centralization of power in Washington and within Washington, a shift from the legislative branch to the executive, the administrative agencies. Uh, and so, you know, each each seat, what the court decides matters. And so the only way ultimately to decrease the tensions uh, is to, uh, to make uh, that seat less important. It's not about structural reforms or court packing or whatever else, which will only inflame things further and, and ratchet it up. It's about rebalancing our constitutional order. Ilya Shapiro is a senior fellow in constitutional studies at the Cato Institute and author of the new book, Supreme Disorder, Judicial Nominations and the Politics of America's Highest Court. You can subscribe to the Cato Daily Podcast anywhere you please and follow us on Twitter at Cato Podcast.